Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Good morning. This is your fill-in host, Thaddeus Romanski, filling in for Pam Marvin, although we're going to have her interview with Father, Father Will, Will Stratton. Stratton. I just totally blank there. It was, <laughs> it's a pre-recorded uh, uh, interview, Father Will Stratton of St. Mary's Catholic Center here in College Station. Uh, that's going to be the second part of Red Sea Roundup. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio maybe on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, or KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine, or maybe you're catching us online at redsearadio.org or via our iPhone or Android apps. There's a lot of ways to listen to us, and you can always go to redsearadio.org, click on that donate button, and support us online there. Maybe become a monthly donor, monthly supporter of our Immaculata Giving Society. We appreciate so much your support and your love of Red Sea Catholic Radio, and we love helping you grow deeper in your Catholic faith. Today is July 27th, 2022. It's the Feast of St. Pantaleon. Traditionally, he was a physician to the emperor of Rome, uh, Diocletian, during the Roman Empire, and he was martyred as a uh, as a Christian um, in the in the fourth century. I also learned that today is the feast of a relatively new saint to the Catholic Church. He was beatified uh, in 1985 and canonized by Pope Francis just this year, um, and that is Saint Titus. St. Titus Bronzma, St. Titus Bronzma. Hmm. He was a Dutch Carmelite, lived through the um, invasion by the Nazis of Holland in 1940, and he was eventually arrested and sent to the concentration camp at Dachau. Um, He was subjected to biological experimentation and then was killed by lethal injection on July 26th. 1942, all because he was an advisor to the Bishop of Utrecht and was instrumental in having the Dutch bishop speak out against the Nazi persecution of the Jewish populations of Europe. Um, Last little thing about him, St. Titus gave his rosary beads to the nurse that administered that lethal injection, and he prayed that God would forgive her of her Mm. sins and that she would repent of her actions. She came to a Carmelite priory years later asking for forgiveness, and she ended up being a witness in his process for beatification. Wow. So St. Titus, Bronzma, please pray for us. St. Pantaleon, pray pray for for us. us. We are so happy to uh, have on the phone with us for a few minutes Deacon Mark Oliveri, he's going to talk to us about um, a new program of Ignatian spiritual exercises that he is leading here in town, right? Deacon Mark, good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you all? We are well. Blessed. 
So I have been leading a program called Finding Christ in the World at St. Thomas Aquinas. This will be my third fall semester that I'll be leading it. And it is based upon the Ignatian uh, Spiritual Exercises. It's a 13-week program. And there's actually a guidebook that leads you through day by day. We do meet weekly as a group for an hour every week. That's well, that's my involvement of it. The majority of the work is between the retreatant and God. I mean, that's what they spend 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day uh, using this guidebook. It's two pages, you know, very light reading, but it can get very deep very fast depending upon how deep you want to go. It's all about building your relationship with God. So if you go, well, yeah, I don't have time or I'm not sure how I should be praying or I'm just not getting anything out of it. Uh, all of the men and women that have walked through this program have come away at the end like, wow, why didn't I do this earlier? Wow, I didn't expect this. Wow, yeah, um, I'm actually growing closer to God. Wow, my prayer life has changed. Full experience. And the only cost is just purchasing the, the guidebook, and it's all available. You can get the information on the uh, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, website, U.S., excuse me. U.S. <laughs> I was thinking of the Conference of the Catholic Bishops there. It's stabcs.org uh, slash Ignatian dash retreat. And the guidebook is 40 bucks plus shipping, and I get zero dollars of that. Uh, we do have it. Uh, it'll be starting in September. If you go to that website, it'll, it'll tell you, you'll be able to sign up as to, uh, I've got a couple of sessions that are going to be available uh, the, the morning session or noon session is available to men and women. And I've, I reserved the, the evening session on Tuesday evenings for, for just men. Just men they have a tendency to go. It's, it, they're different. Guys and gals are different. We're different. And uh, I did this past semester with just the guys in the evening. And uh, they were actually able to, to uh, dive a little bit deeper than what they normally do. Guys struggle with the word feelings. Well, let's see. That's the longest distance from the head to the heart for most guys. Well, you you uh, you sold me, Deacon uh, Mark. I I'm I'm very interested now. I was telling you when you were here in the studio a couple of days ago that I don't know if I could handle handle some more, but it may be uh, you, you you've got me leaning. You've got me leaning. So I will I will be in touch with you. But uh, once again, if you could right. share share with others how they can get to that, what is that website once more? It is S-T-A, as in St. Thomas Aquinas, B-C-S dot org forward slash, and that's the slash that would fall forward, right, <laughs> forward slash, Ignatian dash retreat. Or if they go to the adult formation tab uh, yes, then, at the, uh, the website S-T-A-B-C-S dot org, I could find it that way as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice. Well, I'm I'm very thrilled that you're doing this, and I'm hoping that you can have full classes. We'll we'll be running spots starting yesterday um, through the uh, retreat time. So hopefully, we fill your class up for both sessions. Yes, and I do accept people to come as late as the day of. I do have the first chapter electronically the first week. So if they haven't ordered their books and they they didn't respond to the Holy Spirit in the last moment, that's okay. We can help them out. <laughs> we do have a limitation. Of, of the size, but if there's a tremendous response, I'll open up additional sessions. So it's, it's limited to 12 and, and you don't have to, if you're shy, you're an introvert, whatever you want to call it, and you prefer not to share and you just want to sit in and just you know, absorb what other people are, that's fine too. It's not a forced, Hey, everybody has to talk. No, no. It's a, if you, if the Holy Spirit's calling you to share what you've experienced this past week, share it, 
If not, hold on to it. It's okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Deacon Mark, for sharing that with our audience. I hope that you can get some full classes and uh, look forward to promoting that on the air as the, the months come along here before the retreat. Thank you much for your time, gentlemen. All right. Thank you very much. Have, have a good day. Have a good week. All right. So that was Deacon Mark Oliveri. He's going to be giving people in the uh, Bryan College Station area a chance to experience the, the joys of the spiritual exercises and uh, Ignatian spirituality. And that's that's awesome. You can you can speak to that, right, Dennis? You've got it in a little bit of a taste. We've of that started over the studying years. it. It's it's really common sense stuff that you're like, oh, well, that's the reason this or you know the other ways of thinking and the the ways that the devil attacks people, um, and the ways the Holy Spirit brings consolation, but also the way that the devil brings desolation to people. And and in the times when you uh, need it the most, you can get. One or the other. Uh, well, you don't need desolation, but it comes. <laughs> I think we all experience it, but it For it sure. gives a label to it. And once you can label it, you're like, oh, psh, I've done this before. And it allows you to snap out of that despair you may be having at, at a, moment's, uh, a moment of desolation. You're like, oh, okay, I, I got this devil. Go away. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, instantly mm-hmm. things can get easier. So it's it's a real common sense, practical spirituality. Um, it's not too in depth for anyone to learn. So, yeah. yeah, I think anyone could could benefit from this this type of a study. So, I think if we can remember that we're in union with the Holy Spirit, we're united with the Holy Spirit, and He's sending us graces all the time, um, we can be a lot better off that we're together with the Holy Spirit, and that that can help families be together and. To that end, we have a great family retreat coming up in Waco. We do. That's actually titled Together. That's the theme. That Families is praying together, playing together, mm-hmm. and being on mission together. Those are going to be the three talks. Tell us a little bit more about that retreat, Dennis, and how people can sign up. Well, if you go to our website, Red Sea Radio, that's red, the letter C, radio.org, and click on the Together banner that pops up first on the page. You can uh, go to the retreat information page as well as the registration. It's only $40 for a family. So that's for all meals, uh, uh, lunch and dinner included, as well as some snacks and beverages. Um, so, you know, we're we're not asking people to even cover our costs. We're just asking for a contribution towards our costs. Um, we're very excited. We've got about 25 families participating right now, which is great. So our numbers are going to be... They probably will float around 115 to 125, mm-hmm. which is really good for the first retreat. We've even got participants from our Bryan College Station area here going up to Waco. And uh, just a great uh, great slate of speakers for the adults and a great slate of activities. We have nursery available for the, the youngins, but uh, vacation Bible school style programming and learning and and. Uh, everything for the the middle age group there and the teenage group we've got special programming just for them and we've actually got a good a good number of teenagers that are going to be there as well so um and we're partnering with uh, with the blaze in Waco right that is correct a blaze has been in a tremendous ablaze youth up there uh it's going to be at St. Louis Catholic Church and uh, Ablaze is partnering with Red Sea Apostolate to do this family retreat up there. And it's going to be very nice. It's a great day to get away. They're going to have adoration, mass, 
time for confession, a couple of different times for confession, uh, talks for the adults, discussion groups, activities as a whole family. If you don't have kids at home any longer, you're still welcome. We've got people that have had kids that have flown the nest. We've got all the way down to young families uh, with one or two kids. So it's a big variety of, of people that are coming to this retreat, and we're really looking forward to it. This Saturday, St. Louis Catholic Church in Waco, once again, redcradio.org, and you go to uh, the Together Retreat page and then find out more information there. Okay, and speaking of uh, signing up for for events and participating in community things, uh, we also still are having signups for Victory Sports. We're right in the middle of registration for Victory Sports here in Bryan College Station. That's our Catholic Youth Sports Initiative that is going to offer children grades one through six the beauty of sport through the beauty, the beauty of our faith through the beauty mm-hmm. of sport. We're like, I'm really messing things up this no, morning. No, you sound great. Having a, One thing a I will morning. I will say is that the diocese has given their stamp of approval, and they're very yes, excited they about this. We've met with the leadership in the diocese, and they are very excited about the way that this is going to teach the faith, not just show kids great sports skills, but this is a way for all the families to come together and experience the life of the faith in, in, in action, really. So yeah. And it's, it's it's really critical uh, to our vision that the children are going to play on teams representing their parishes because we want those parish families to come together around a, a common goal and a common lived experience on those practice days and on those game days, um, representing their parish and, Reinfusing pride in belonging to to a parish and knowing the people mm-hmm. and serving with the people that um, are in your parish. So we yeah. want to encourage you to go to victoryyouthsports.org/leagues and you can sign up your girls for volleyball and your boys for flag football. Practices will be on Friday. Fridays games will be on Saturdays and those uh, those first practices will start September second. So you've wow. got a little bit of time, but but not too much time. Regular registration closes on August 15th, Woo. the Feast of our of the Assumption. Well, I tell you, this is very exciting time for families to come together. And if you're in the Waco area or the East Texas area, buckle up because we're planning to come your way. We're just piloting this program this year in the Brazos Valley. But uh, full steam ahead to, uh, to have Victory Sports go outside of our diocese. All right, we'll be ba- you'll be back on the other side listening to Pam Marvin talk to Father Will Stratton on Red Sea Roundup. Don't miss it. Central Texas people listen up. He's from your hometown. Welcome back to this second half of Red Sea Roundup, and joining me today is Father Will Stratton. Welcome, Father Will. Great to be with you, Pam. Thank you. Yeah, I am very excited to have you on. Dennis and I were just like shocked when we looked at uh, some past shows and realized you had not been on Red Sea Roundup before, so my apologies for that. You've been here how long now at St. Mary's? Yeah, it's been a little over a year and a half, probably about a year and eight months or so. 
you know, I think I remember coming in and visiting with Dennis and saying, yeah, yeah, we should do something. I, sure, yeah, sounds good. I'll talk to you. Okay, you talk to me. And then right. uh, a year and a half goes by. So. Well, I'm so thankful to get to be the person that gets to interview you today. And uh, and one of the most favorite things our listeners have is listening to vocation stories. And so, I mean, I know a little bit about yours, uh, but I would like you to, to kind of start with your upbringing and your days here in Aggieland and, you know, just your story. Yeah, it's always kind of fun to go back. Uh, even for myself, in some sense, the, you kind of talk about your life. You kind of see different things or notice different things that stick out. And, uh, yeah, it's cool to reflect. I, I, I kind of like Jesuit spirituality, right? So there's kind of the examine, right? So the sense of kind of examining your day, uh, kind of what stuck out. Where was the Lord? Where did you see him? And so it was always kind of neat as a seminarian. The, the more I told my vocation story, the more I was like, wow, yeah, the Lord was working there. Oh, yeah, the Lord. So it's kind of, kind of cool to be able to go back mm-hmm. and to, to visit with that. So, yeah, I would say that— gr- Cradle Catholic, so born and raised as a Catholic. My grew up in a small community, kind of farming community north of Waco. Um, the town was, I guess the community was the city of West, which actually was a, was a city. Uh, we lived outside of West about 10 miles. And uh, the smaller community was Tours, uh, St. Martin of Tours, founded on November the 11th, 1872. So they're actually celebrating their 150th anniversary um, this year, which is kind of cool, that little community. My dad was from that community, St. Martin of Tours. We lived about four miles, five miles, so that's where we went to church. My mom grew up in West. Mom was one of five, five girls. My dad was 12th of 14, so it was a big, kind of big family. And faith was important. St. Martin and Tours there had a Catholic school, K through 6, that my dad and all aunt and uncles went through. And uh, then there in West was a Catholic school as well that my mom went to, K through 8. So it was interesting. My parents, for the most part, Sunday was a day day for family, a day for church. And so... Even from a very young age, it was something that we didn't, I didn't really kind of argue, uh, you know, Sunday is going to church. Dad got up, mom got up, um, my sisters, and, and off we went. And so it was kind of neat, got to, I guess, at the first, see my cousins there. Um, so it was kind of sort of like a little family reunion or something. Awesome. And so faith was, faith was important, small little church. Um, second grade, became an altar server. And in third grade, um, Father Isidore Ziki came to the area, or was transferred to that parish in 1987, and uh, or 86, somewhere there. And he probably had the, a, a very Im- big impact. So just a, a priest and a role model. He was a, uh, a very personable. He was very friendly. Uh, he was uh, just a real person. So I just remember, you know, sometimes seeing a priest up there, and they seem to don't have a relationship with them, and Sure, they they talk, they're nice, they're friendly, but Father Isidore really kind of put a was a real person. So he joked, um, you know, he rode a motorcycle, he uh, he dove hunted, uh, he would just talk about life, and so it was kind of neat for me to be able to kind of recognize him as a, as a real person. And you know, sometimes priests are you know again set apart or different, um, but he was a real person. And then a little bit later, Father. Uh, probably when I was in middle school, Father Ed Karasik came to uh, St. Mary's Catholic Church in West, um, or the, the Assumption. And so he also, too, was just a very real person and a, a great guy, very personable. Um, and so those two kind of role models, um, plus my family, my parents come to church on Sunday. Um, and then I would say the next step was probably when I went to confirmation class was led by— um, a lady by the name of Diane Berger was my teacher. And she was probably one of the first real, maybe lay people that I witnessed who actually 
live the faith. So there's still in West a Catholic bookstore that's there, and her and a few other ladies were some of the first ones that started started it in West. And uh, so in confirmation class, you had to, of course, you guys might remember, or you might remember, Pam, that you had to do like service hours in confirmation. Right, right. At, least, mm-hmm. at least in that parish, you had to have eight to ten. So one of the options was to work at this bookstore. Okay. You could go in on Saturday morning and volunteer and whatnot. So I went in and uh, volunteered there. And again, kind of volunteering, seeing that, and just her kind of realness of actually living the faith. I mean, she talked about prayer. She talked about, you know, talking to her guardian angel. You know, she talked about um, she was beginning to have crippling arthritis, and she talked about how, you know, suffering. So it was really good. And, you know, when we acted up, she actually challenged us. Uh, Anyway, she was just one of, uh, again, a lay person who I saw who was actively living out the faith. It wasn't just something they did on Sunday. Very authentic. Very authentic. And so— I think those particular people, those two priests, and uh, Miss Diane Berger, and uh, a couple, you know, there's a few others as well, authentically living their faith, um, kind of planted the seeds early on, you could say. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was pretty normal. I mean, my pre, the, most people dropped out of altar serving at seventh or eighth grade because it wasn't the cool thing to do anymore. <laughs> okay. uh, I stayed till I was a senior in high school, so Father's Order was kind of short. Um, I was, you know, about six foot, so I was about six or seven inches taller than him. So most people noticed, gosh, why is this, who's this guy? Why is he still standing around, you know? And, you know, people began to ask me, mm-hmm. oh, you should be a priest. You ever thought about being a priest? And so, <laughs> of course, at that age, you know, most of my friends were like, you know, why would you want to do that? So <laughs> it was like, so I kind of quickly talked myself out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I graduated high school, 1996, came here to Texas A&M, didn't necessarily know much about, you know, St. Mary's. I knew I definitely wanted to live my faith. And, uh, you know, I went to, came here, went to daily mass on the first day of school in the fall of 96, met uh, Father Mike Sis, now Bishop Mike Sis, uh, Father Dean Wilhelm, were the two priests here at the time. And, uh, you know, told them who I was. And, you know, at that time there was probably maybe 40 or so, 50 people coming to daily mass and made awakening 49. So I began to get kind of involved in ministry here and definitely really just, yeah, enjoyed my faith. And probably at that time I thought that, you know, I would be a faithful Catholic throughout my life and would hopefully find a Catholic girl to marry and um, just was involved in, in many different things. And then I guess there was a little bit of shift in a sense uh, in my sophomore year was when now Bishop David Condola came. And of course, uh, as many people know, he became the first full-time vocation director for the Diocese of Austin, set up by Bishop Amen at the time in uh, 2001. But um, Father David also just naturally was very good at vocation work as well. And so again, Father Bishop Mike and Bishop David both became very, again, real personal uh, people in some sense to me. So I'm trying to get this straight in my head. Was he assigned as an assistant pastor here, or was he already assigned as a vocation director over there? Great. Yeah, Bishop Bishop David was assigned first as an associate here from 97 to 01. Okay. And then in 2001, he became the, fir- the okay. first full-time vocation director. Of course, they had, they've always had a vocation director for the Dice of Austin, but they usually were active as a pastor somewhere. Um, like Monsignor McCaffrey, the 70s and 80s was the vocation director, but he also was the pastor mm, gotcha. there at St. Joseph's. And Father mm-hmm. Ed Krosick actually had been the vocation director, but he was also the pastor of St. Mary's in West. And so Father Father David, now Bishop David, of course, took over from Father Ed and actually did it full time. Wow. So he wasn't in the parish anymore. But uh, but while he was here, I guess the point that I was trying to make, he, he already began doing a lot of vocation work 
in a sense, uh, he started the seminary sprint, which you might have heard of. Uh, yes, yeah. The nun run. The nun run. Uh, Monica Ashard started, who was one of the campus ministers here at the time. And so I did one seminary sprint, and he would do something on Friday nights once a month called, you know, MMM, Men Meet Messiah. And so, of course, it was M-E-T-E-M-E-E-T or M-E-A-T, right? So you were supposed to bring a steak or chicken or something, and he would start up the barbecue pit in the back, and so we would cook and uh, eat and then, you know, talk, visit, play games or, you know, board games or stuff like that. So it was just a, a good atmosphere. And so, you know, I kind of figured, well, gosh, you know, I'll keep going to all these uh, discernment groups, and I'm pretty sure I'll figure out something at some point in time, you know, phone call from God or something will click in my head or, or something will <laughs> and happen. And get fed so, along the way, too. And you get fed, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I get fed along the way. And so I guess throughout my college career, I, yeah, went to a lot of discernment things and was involved here. Um, it, this wasn't so much connected to discernment, but it was, it's part of my story. So, and again, so therefore it's probably part of discernment too, right? Uh, so after three years, one might be able to say, or my dad would probably say that uh, <laughs> I fell out of Texas A&M because I, I probably spent too much time here at St. Mary's. Oh, my goodness. That's, you, I thought you were going to say in the bars, but no, no, no. St. <laughs> Mary's, okay. <laughs> I think Monday night was Smurt, Tuesday night was CSA, Wednesday night was Knights of Columbus, Thursday night was Fourth Day for Awakening, you know, Friday night you had to go dancing, right? Saturday night was their football games and everything, and you went with other St. Mary's people. And then, of course, Sunday, I mean, I was, I think, an usher at one Mass and liturgy coordinator at another Mass, and so— Anyway, I, I pretty much very drawn. spent my, yeah. my time, and yeah, I kind of figured yeah. if I was close to God, he uh, he would help me pass my test. But, uh, <laughs> it didn't work out that way, huh? <laughs> it did not work out that way. Okay. It did not work out that way. So after three years here at A&M, I, I withdrew class from class and uh, got a job. And interesting, some people listening might might remember Deacon Bill Scott, who was— uh, oh, Yes, God rest his soul. Yeah, God rest his soul. Yeah, he was the permanent deacon on staff, and so I had— uh, well, so I, after that had happened, I went and set up an appointment with um, actually Bishop Mike says who was the pastor at the time, and kind of went into the office and I told him what my problem was because of course when you have a problem, who you talk to, right? You talk to a priest, and, you know, he'll help you. So <laughs> Father Mike, I don't know if he remembers this or not, but he, he, you know, he listened to me and he heard me and fell out of school and what I'm going to do next, and he says, "Well, Will, have you ever thought about being a priest?" Father David, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, I really do, and I have thought about it. But that's another seven years of school, and, and I'm failing. I, I just uh. withdrew from school, <laughs> and I just don't think that'll fit. And he goes, well, you know, I, I understand. And, and, you, and yeah, but, but you shouldn't. Don't, don't stop thinking about it. God could be calling you. I, said, okay. right, I appreciate it. Can we get back to my problem now? <laughs> and uh, so we talked, and then I wa- remember walking out the hall, and I, again, I, saw, I said, Deacon, Deacon Bill Scott, he was, came out of his office, and so I told him what was going on, and he probably gave me some of the best advice. It, it, very simple, very practical, of course, as, as he usually tended to be. He said, well, well, two things can happen. Number one is you go get a job flipping burgers, a part-time job, and you'll do it, and you'll recognize, man, I don't want to do this. And you'll go back to college, get a degree. Or you'll find out you like it, and you'll flip burgers for the next 40 years of your life. I said, well, okay, that sounds pretty simple. I get a job, and we'll kind of— kind of see what doors open, try it out, see what happens. So I got a, he actually helped me get a job at uh, College Station Park and Rec Department. And so I worked at uh, Rock Prairie Park, which now I believe is, it was renamed. Um, but I took care of the 
little league fields and soccer fields and all that kind of fun stuff over there. And it was pretty much like Deacon Bill said. It was a good job. I enjoyed it, but it was, I kind of recognized there was just no kind of vision and it was, uh, it was work and it was good. And I worked hard, but I recognized I, I needed to go back to school. So went and talked to my advisor and uh, he basically said, you don't have to fill out any applications. He said, I'm going to let you in, let you back in. But if you fell out this time, you'll never get back into this institution again. And I was like, okay, all right. This is pretty serious. Yeah. So I would say that's probably my best and worst year of my life in a sense that I really grew up, grew a lot. Had to. Had really to. grew a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, but I mean, my parents definitely were good, very good, very helpful. They helped me in school. They helped me with a lot of things. My dad, sharecropper, none of his brothers and sisters really went to college, but they all had good jobs. They all did well for themselves. So he really wanted us to, to graduate, right? So there was just a sense of like that father wound, like I let my dad down, um, you know, and so I really knew that it was, I needed to go back to school and uh, I really wanted to, to graduate and be able to get that degree and see what the Lord was, was calling me to do. So I was able to start back in the fall of, I guess it was the fall of 2000. And uh, anyway, so I got back in, came back into school, probably that second two years, I think I probably made about a three, five, those two years that raised my barely 1.7 to 8 to about a 2.2. So. <laughs> you were ready at that point, yeah. <laughs> I, I learned a lot. I grew up, it was good. It was real good. My study habits changed. I, I didn't, I balanced out between school and St. Mary's. Let's put it that way. So mm, I did, okay. I learned to kind of balance it out a little bit. So that was good. Um, continue to discern and, uh, Continued to go to some of those different discernments. And I so saw real quick, just kind of fast forward to June, I think it was 7, 8, 9. Um, June 7, 8, 9 of 2002. I went on a come and see retreat. And so if there ever was a watershed moment, as, right. as people talk about, um, it was at that retreat. And it was at Holy Trinity Seminary in Dallas. Uh, it was a 30, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and I'll just, just say... Uh, the probably biggest point, again, was kind of going back to kind of real reality, kind of just the priesthood is a real person. The priest is a real person, not dropped down from heaven. They don't have to have everything figured out. Mm-hmm. Probably number two, what I learned at that retreat really was just very helpful is um, I talked to, so let me just back up real quick. Very helpful um, at that retreat they had, you could sign up for three 30-minute talks with a priest or religious that was there, and they kind of called it the walk to Emmaus, right? So okay. the idea that these two men walking with Jesus came to encounter him as they walked along. And so you were supposed to spend 30 minutes kind of, you could go walking for a priest or sit and talk with them. So one priest very, very beautifully said, you know, Father Will, or I, well, at the time, of course, Will, the sermon is kind of like standing on the, the back porch at the porch light on. Um, it's dark outside. It's night. You want to get to your car in the garage, but you can't see the garage, but you can see the bird bath. And when you walk to the birdbath, you can see the big oak tree. From the big oak tree, you can see the gate mm. in the fence. And from the gate in the fence, you can see the garage where your car is. So he said, you know, the idea is that God has a vocation, a plan for you. And so sometimes you have, you have to keep walking. And as you walk, you see other things that, you know, are landmarks. And from them, you can kind of see the next step. And so that really just Beautiful. resonated. Yeah. So, like, I don't have to have it all figured out. Like, I thought I needed to be a priest before I went to the seminary. So, kind of like this idea that I thought, you know, I might need to marry this girl before I dated her. You know, <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, that doesn't no, no. make sense. Right. 
So I kind of recognize that going to the seminary didn't necessarily mean, you know, I was signing my life away or I had to have it all figured out, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, so, so it really, yeah. So anyway, that was one talk. The other talk was the, the priest was very, he was an older priest. He was very straightforward. Um, he actually just, just passed away, Father John Collet. So God rest his soul as well. Uh, but he, he was very forward. He said, you know, Father Will, or Will, why don't you want to be a priest? Okay, you know, so I thought, well, you know, I want to have a family, right? And so he told me all about all the spiritual families that he had, mm. and uh, all all the babies he got to baptize, and the people he married, and how he still stayed in communion, you know, connection with them. I was like, okay, that sounds good. So, well, why else would you want to be a priest? And I said, well, I'd like to have land and property or whatnot. And uh, so he kind of told me all about, well, you know, I don't have any land of my own, but he belonged to a religious order. And he said, you know, I can go stay in our house in Rome. I can go stay in our house, you know, all over the world. He said, you know, you might not have your own place, but, you know, there will be places provided. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And so he kept asking me this question till finally I was like, well, Father, I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess i just kind of sitting on the fence. He was like, well, I think it's about time you get off the fence. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Father, I think our 30 minutes are up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so after that weekend, uh, I called up Father David, who had become the full-time vocation director now at this time, Bishop David, and told him that, you know, I'm going to graduate in August and, uh, you know, just give me a little time, maybe work for a year. It's probably too late for me to get into the seminary. And he goes, oh, you got plenty of time. Oh, yeah, good. I just, well, I just told you my plan. He goes, no, 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 no. I'll get you in this September. And I was like, oh, uh. So two days later, the application was in the mailbox, and uh, I filled Wonderful. it out and uh, graduated August 17th at, here at A&M at 10 a.m. in the morning, and I had a report to the seminary on the 18th on Sunday. My parents dropped me off at Holy Trinity Seminary in Dallas at 4 o'clock. Wow. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a very quick turnaround. I slept on my buddy's couch that Saturday night. Everything in the back of my truck drove to West, went to church at St. Martin's and Tours there that Sunday morning with my family, and then they brought me to the right, right. seminary that uh, that afternoon. So anyway, sometimes looking back on it, I, I think I would have probably talked myself out of it if I hadn't gone. But So that was your first kind of really giant leap. It's like, but I love what you were saying about that imagery you did about the birdbath, you know, the way the garage, because I feel like that really applies to everyone in discernment. Sure, too. yeah. Just take the next right step, that kind of abandonment to divine providence. Yeah. Obviously, that was really at work um, in your story where – it just, things just started happening where it just made it easier. And and I think that's a message for us to be listening to the Lord. So, yeah, so interesting. So now exactly. your time at seminary, what was going on then? Do you have anything? Yeah, seminary was. How, and how long were you in seminary? Yeah, so seminary usually tends to be, uh, for most, most men, it's seven to nine years. So if you already have college, it's seven years. Uh, so two years of pre-theology or, or focus on philosophy, and then four years of school in what they call the Masters in Divinity, or Masters in Theology, some people refer to, but technically Masters in Divinity. The reason they call that is it's kind of three or four Masters all put together. I mean, mm. you kind of do five or six classes in Scripture, five or six classes in Sacraments, Liturgy, five or six classes on kind of theology classes, five or six classes on canon law and spirituality. And so it's just kind of a, a mix. You could you could probably, get, again, get a Masters in each one of those topics Technically, a master's program is supposed to be narrowed down, focused, right? So it's almost like a bachelor's, but they still call it a master's because you already have a bachelor's. But right, right. Anyway, 
Um, and then you do an intern year, so it's seven years. So I guess real quick, just with those, I can say the first year was huge. Um, I, I'm kind of sort of a, uh, well, I like equations or different things. So I kind of recognized that it was what really made sense before. I kind of thought it was, you know, me plus a vocation equal God. So this idea that I had to find my vocation so I could get closer to God, right? Mm. But I kind of realized in the seminary that year it was very helpful to say, you know, put everything aside and just grow in a relationship with God. So it's you plus God equals a vocation, right? Because mm. whether you're married or a teacher, or doctor, nurse, priest, religious, you you have to have God, right? So exactly. let him be the one that helps you discern. So that took a lot of pressure off. And uh, it was really, really good to recognize, too, that um, it's kind of a win-win. If you leave the seminary, great. If you become a priest, great. So it's not like a pass-fail. And I think sometimes even with dating these days, people kind of think, like, I have to make this the one I'm going to marry, right? This person, my spouse. Instead of just discerning, are they the one? If they are, great. If they're not, great. It's not like to say, well, we broke up, so I failed. Mm. Or I left the seminary, so I failed. Well, it's not, you can't fail. It's discernment is coming up with the, the next step. And if it is priesthood, great. If it's not, great. Like, you needed to take this next step to know that. Exactly. And God's, you know, he didn't like set you up for failure or anything else like that, but he might not have been able to speak clear enough to you until you began to make these steps and to kind of help you to also kind of see as well. So so it was good. So that was very helpful as well for me to kind of recognize that God was going to either lead me from the seminary or to the priesthood and that it was, he was going to help me to make that decision. And it wasn't, so it took a lot of pressure off in some sense of like trying to figure this out or, you know, I had to. I had to solve this puzzle. In so you're just sense. taking it one year at a time in the seminary. So, yeah. Yeah. And they really encourage us to do that. Just take one year. Father David, Bishop David very wisely said, yeah, Will, you just have to give me one year. That's it. And they didn't do the year. If you want to do another one, great. If you don't, I, you know, that's good. If that's, if it was good discernment, then that's, that's great. And so it was good. It was, that was kind of like taking the burger a bite at a time, right? You know, not trying to step it down all at once. So discernment was little by little. And I will say, I guess, just real two, three things. I mean, after about three or four years being in the seminary, I kind of realized, gosh, you know, if I if God called me from the seminary, I learned so much about God. I learned so much about myself. I was like, I wouldn't trade this for anything because there was a sense like before it was like, well, if I join the seminary and I'm in there five or six years and I leave, it's kind of, gosh, this is a waste of time. You know, God, why couldn't you have just told me at the beginning? You right. Know? A practical guy here, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but... I realized, you know, I had learned so much about myself and just my faith. And uh, anyway, that even if God wasn't calling me to the priesthood, then, you know, I still would not have seen it. I would still have cherished the, that time in the seminary and that, that self-reflection. Yeah, yeah. but the, did you, was it like an aha moment or was it like a slow crescendo of, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing? Great. So, yeah, maybe to kind of wrap it up, I'll say that uh, it was probably my fourth year, so I'd two years at, as I said, Holy Trinity, and then started um, my Master's in Divinity at St. Mary's Seminary in Houston. And uh, during that time, I think it was in my second year of theology, and it was probably in the, I I think it was in the fall, um, I had a regular meeting with my formator. So you meet with your formator, lives on the hall with you. And uh, so I met with him. And in the conversation, we, it kind of came up with a sense of, um, of commitment. So what does it mean to commit yourself to something or to someone. And we kind of talked and committed and whatnot. And so I guess just to say real quick, 
some of my mentality or idea was when I joined the seminary, well, you know, if I don't fail out of school and I don't find somebody to marry and, you know, they don't kick me out, you know, I guess I'll just end up being a priest. So I guess it didn't really occur to me that much until that conversation that this was also something that I had to choose. Yes. yes. Right? So like if you're dating somebody again to kind of go back to that, it's kind of like the girl could really like the guy and the guy could just say, well, I'll date her because she really likes, I'll marry her because she really likes me, you know? Mm -hmm. But if his heart isn't in it and he's just doing it because it seems like what she wants or vice versa, it could be the opposite way too. Um, But I kind of recognized, yeah, that's just not really fair, you know, to myself and also to the church too. I mean, I should only, you know, I also have to, again, be committed. Like this has to be something that I choose to do and not just because I think God wants me to do it or, you know, Father Isidore, Father Ed want me to do this, Father David, you know, I... I had to recognize that this was something that God had been calling me and leading me to, something that I could kind of see looking over my life was something that, you know, again, kind of a common thread throughout elementary, middle, high school, college, um, something that I wasn't maybe actively pursuing the priesthood, but I kind of recognized there was there was a draw there or there was a, a call or an invitation and um, that I still needed to choose it. So I, I think in that that fourth year, I remember... Uh, kind of after that meeting, kind of going in my prayer and saying, okay, Lord, um, I'm going to put my hands to the plow. I also want to commit. I want to put my money on the table, right? I, I kind of want to say this is what direction I want to go. And if you're not, this isn't where you're calling me, then you need to speak up a little okay. louder. Yeah, but okay. if not, this is the direction I'm going. And so then after that, the next year is usually your intern year or pastoral year, as they call it. So I spend it at St. Mary's Seminary in Houston, and it was just a good, kind of good confirmation. So you kind of get some on-the-job training. Yes. And so I kind of see the day-to-day activity or life of a priest. And throughout that year, it only kind of confirmed that kind of commitment that I had made. And then one more year next year, uh, May of 2008, uh, May 16th, I think I was ordained to the diaconate for the Diocese of Austin. And then on June the 6th, 2009, was um, ordained by Bishop Amen, well now Archbishop Amen at the time, Bishop Amen here in Dallas, and uh, he ordained myself, and I had four classmates. Um, yeah, who were your classmates? Give a shout out to them before we transition to good. our next topic. Shout out to uh, Father Jonathan Rea, Father Chris Downing, yep. Father Uche Obiquilo, and Father Justin Wynn. So I think four Only of them. Only one of them, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, three of them served in this area, yeah, yeah. and actually two of them served here at St. Mary's. As associate, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. We're thanks be to God for your yes. Um, so thankful. I mean, it's yeah. been really wonderful having you here at St. Mary's. Your um, demeanor and your style is just so real and vulnerable, and I just thank you for that personally because I really enjoy that. Thank you. But the next part of the the conversation, I really kind of want to turn it to because I'm very excited about this Eucharistic revival that Pope Francis has been talking about. You're gonna have to unpack it for me though. What exactly? What exactly is it? Like, tell us more about like what you know about it and where we're going to be going in the next two years. Sure. You know, of course, with a lot of things in, in the world or in life, um, things are not necessarily per se new, but, uh, but sometimes we have taken them for granted for a while, or maybe sometimes we haven't necessarily maybe recognize what is in front of us or maybe in some sense even like whether it's a kind of go back to what silver that becomes tarnished go back to um what's as time goes or what the source is so especially with the eucharist right body of christ um jesus says at the last supper this is my eat of my body drink of my blood um it really is the central teaching of our church of our faith what is the eucharist 
And so I think in one sense, the desire of Pope Francis is to kind of bring us back um, to, to Jesus and to him sense of feeding us, uh, Jesus' sense of, of loving us. Um, I think number two, it's a sense uh, also with, with the Eucharist, it's, uh, as we were speaking a little bit earlier, just the mystery of our faith. And so it tends to be a mystery. And sometimes when things are a mystery, uh, sometimes we, well, I don't know, we just, <laughs> we okay, we just chalk it up that it's a mystery. And, uh, and we don't necessarily maybe pursue it too much. Mm-hmm. We just kind of accept it. And, uh, and so I think the desire is, is not just to say, okay, sure, we have the Eucharist. Great. That's good. Um, sure, it's the center of our faith. Great. Good. Our, Jesus feeds us with his body and blood. Sure. But I think there's also a desire for us to kind of grow in belief, right? Mm-hmm. So really believing um, this, this idea of the true presence as we speak yes, about. Yes. So recognizing that Jesus Christ is truly present, body, blood, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, each time Mass is celebrated, each time we come to receive him. And again, we, what I said that in about three seconds, but again, it's, I mean, tons of books have been written about what does that really mean? Um, Jesus is truly present to us at the Eucharist. And mm-hmm. again, I think it's something that's easy to say. Maybe most Catholics might be able to say it, but um, of course, as they say, many different surveys and whatnot, that there's a lot of people who don't who don't believe that. Or, yeah. Okay, so if someone is listening right now, you can be awesome Catholic, you can be loving your faith, but you struggle with the idea of the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist could you give them some encouragement, give them some prayer prompts, so to speak, to to grow in knowledge or, or in faith about the true presence of Christ? Sure. Um, so I'll maybe do it. Two, three things seem to pop in my head as you spoke. Um, first off, I think it's just important for us as a Catholic to kind of admit where we're at. So, And that's not even for a Catholic. That's for any human person, right? So to kind of live in reality. And not to be ashamed. Right. Yeah. So if you feel as though, gosh, I should believe in this real presence, but I don't. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I don't know what to do. It's good just to own it, right? So Jesus says, bring everything to me. Uh, bring it to the light. Um, open your hearts, right? Um, so it's good just to to recognize God just wants to know where we're at and for us to know where we're at, right? Because in some sense, we can't move forward or we really can't do anything until we admit or accept kind of where we're at, in our, especially in our belief in the Eucharist. And so if you truly believe in the real presence, awesome. You know, continue to um, let that mystery feed you and continue to let the Lord draw you deeper into this beautiful mystery. If you don't, great, or good at least, uh, that you can admit it. And so don't be afraid to ask. So, or don't be afraid to pick up some books. Um, there's, you know, Lamb's Supper that was written by Scott Hahn. Oh, yeah. uh, there's another book... Um, I think it's called the the roots of the Eucharist in the Jewish faith, or something along those lines. Oh, great by, Petrie. Yep, yep, exactly. And so that's another really good one. And there's, of course, there's tons of them. There, there's, there's a lot of books out there. So, you know, maybe if you like to read, find one of those, right. um, and uh, and start there. Number two, you know, ask some of your friends around you. Uh, so it's kind of great. Sometimes we again, or maybe are ashamed to mint to admit to our friends that maybe we don't believe in the real presence, but. Um, Find a few friends and see where they're at or why they believe or what helps them. So don't be afraid to, to ask somebody somebody else or to, to share. Of course, definitely a priest um, uh, or someone, a confidant, someone who's close to you or somebody who is living the faith. Don't be afraid to ask or talk or visit with them. 
So to kind of start where you're at and to kind of build there. And there's a lot of tons of great podcasts. Uh, of course, Bishop Robert Barron. There's, I mean, there's tons of stuff out there that uh, is, it talks about the Eucharist that you can, you can find and help you to, right. to kind of learn and grow. So don't be afraid. One of the things that was wonderful for me early on too is um, in the Adoration Chapel over at St. Thomas Aquinas, you mm-hmm. know, 25 years ago, they had Eucharistic Miracles book. Ah, yeah. Man, you can watch documentaries, you can watch, you can read, and it's truly just jaw-dropping what the Lord has done through the centuries with Eucharistic miracles. So I challenge you to go look at least one of them up. It's amazing. Awesome. Not, not you yeah. personally, but our listeners. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. And the, the second thing real quick that, uh, that pumped in my, in my head, and at least for me as a priest, of course, I didn't encounter this as a priest, but... Um, uh, maybe in my own mind, definitely in my own growth, you know, how does this exactly happen? Um, and something in my priesthood that I've really kind of been able to, to grow in and that I have found to be very helpful, of course, has been the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, so a lot of times, uh, I'm not going to say we forget about the Holy Spirit, but again, sometimes, uh, I guess I did, real close to the, I grew a lot in the seminary and definitely first as a as a priest of kind of the understanding of father and living out of that, the fatherhood. Um, what does it mean to be a son? And what does it mean to to uh, to know the Father and listen to the Father and grow in that relationship with the Father? Um, but definitely, as a priest too, I can recognize again. Jesus says, "Unless you know, unless I ascend into heaven, the Holy Spirit cannot come." And so, who is this Holy Spirit? What's the power of the Holy Spirit? And praying and celebrating the Mass, you know, I really realized, came to, re- to recognize that in the Eucharistic prayer, there's a part of the Epiclesis where the priest, who's in the person of Christ, puts his hands over the elements of the bread and wine, and he calls down the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, into the wine and into the bread. And the Spirit of God enters into um, these elements, and they become the body of Christ Mm. and the blood of Christ. And so actively, when you're present at Mass, to kind of to be attentive during those Eucharistic prayers and to hear those words where the priest calls down the Holy Spirit. He calls God to enter into the simple bread and simple wine as it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. And um, so that was very powerful for me to kind of recognize that this isn't just, it definitely is a mystery by all means. Sure. And sometimes it's good to kind of connect some things, but just um, the reality, again, that the priest is awesome that they read the same words at every Mass, and they're similar words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, and the Holy Spirit um, that is there, that is continuing to unpack and to unfold the mystery of God, the plan that he has for us today in our own daily life, um, enters into those elements as they become the body of Christ and makes them into the real presence. So I have to ask kind of a question. I think that sometimes it's on people's minds. I know I've asked it as well, and it's been answered for me, but I want to hear how you're going to answer it. Ah. Um, it does not depend on the state of grace the priest is in, though, however, right? Like some people are like, well, if they're not in a state of grace, is it still going to be efficacious? Is, is the transubstantiation really going to still happen? Um, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, but that's that's not true because God is God. God is God, right. and uh, so we were all broken vessels as yeah. priests, and uh, we struggle just as anyone else, and uh, we desire 
but it's not us, right? It's we are ordained into the life of Jesus Christ, and especially in the celebration of the sacraments, we believe that it is Christ who is present in us. Yeah. So it is Christ who is calling the Holy Spirit down into those elements as they become uh, the body and blood of Christ. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for, like, that's just kind of been something I've heard in the past, and I'm like, no, let's set that one to rest. <laughs> yeah. no, because, you know, of, of yeah. our humanity. Yeah. Beautiful. And then maybe one real last practical thing, kind of a practical guy, but uh, one particular thing uh, that may, has made a lot of sense to me is is what changes is the um, the, the substance and not the accidents, right? So we, I believe it's from um, yeah, Aristotle, Plato, the idea that uh, uh, the accidents and the substance, so substance is what it is, accidents are the characteristics. So um, the substance of bread and wine and the accidents would be, you know, it's white, it's made of red water, it's circle, it has a certain taste, so the characteristics, accidents of it. Um, so those particular things, and the same of, of wine, you know, the idea that it's, yeah, it's the color, the taste, liquid, um, you know, so the idea of the characteristics, uh, those particular things don't change. So after epiclesis, it still stays, or still looks and keeps the same characteristics um, as the bread and wine. But we believe that the substance is what changes. Mm -hmm. So the substance no longer is bread, but the substance is Jesus Christ, his body. The substance no longer is wine, but it is blood. And that was also something that was very helpful, I guess, or very kind of another thing that resonated in my own heart that really helped me kind of truly believe, yeah, it's okay that it still looks like wine. It's okay that it still looks like bread because it's supposed to still look like bread. It's still supposed to look like wine, but that the substance is what has changed. And that's, I think, maybe in my own story, my own life story, that really when it really clicked when, again, my belief in the true presence really kind of took place. When I truly believed, okay, it's the substance, and I believe that God has the power to change the substance. And even though that to my own eyes it still looks like bread and wine, right. I've come to believe that it, the substance has changed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the priest in the person of Christ, and it does become yeah, the real presence. The only th the last thing before we move on to your priestly blessing, because I can't believe we're already almost out of time, would be I think it's a profound moment as a laity when I get to receive communion. It's a very profound moment, and sure. I think everybody deals with it differently. But let's say for people who they're struggling and it's just kind of habitual, is there any kind of like prayer or just tips for? You're a practical guy. So tips for the way to think during that moment if people are actually kind of wrestling with the true presence. Yeah, a couple of tips. Number one, I would just say, um, again, don't be ashamed or guilt. Feel guilt. Just, you know, ashamed. Just be honest and open. Number two, be patient. So, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. Yes. So that's something that's always been very powerful for me. So I believe help my unbelief kind of still opens to the to the relationship with God. Lord, I I don't fully believe, but I do believe, and I want to believe more. And so this is where I'm at, and I want you to deepen that. So I think uh, maybe before you walk up to receive the Eucharist, coming to Mass, Lord, I believe in you today. Help me to deepen my belief in you. I would probably say could be one of the most practical uh, things that one could do. Yeah. 
Beautiful. That sounds like yeah. a great way to to wind up this uh, whole segment. So, Father Will, I can't thank you enough for joining me. This has been wonderful for me. I wish I could uh, let all my listeners know what peace is in this room. Just uh, his countenance just blesses me so much. And I hope that you, if you're in, in Ryan College Station, you'll come and, and catch one of the Masses here at St. Mary's. But it, before we go, would you give us your priestly blessing? I sure will. Thank you, Pam, so much for this time. I appreciate it. Yeah. And again, uh, it's always great to... Uh, to be able to share the story and to speak about the truths of our faith. So thank you again. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May mighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. So you come back someday and do this with your other things to talk about? Sure. I sure okay. will. I don't, awesome. I'm not too far from here. So Yeah, yeah. I can, I can find you <laughs> if I need you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Um, for the Red Sea Roundup and Father Will Stratton has blessed us very much with his vocation story and just, you know, sharing his heart on the Eucharist. And we thank you. You're very welcome. So until next time, my brothers and sisters, I ask that you go and love your neighbor. Since you wait.